0: Friends, we're reviewing the Yisiches, volume 15. The Yisichov told us, Sikha number 3. The verse says, It came to pass when Isaac, when Yitzchak became old, his eyes became dim or blinded. And it tells the whole story, how then Yaakov came and stole the blessings. On that verse, Rashi gives three interpretations how he became blinded. He became blinded. How? Aha! Three interpretations. One, it was the smoke of the idolatrous... Uh, offerings of the wives of Esau. Two, it was the tears of the angels who looked down and saw Isaac, Yitzchak, blinded on the altar, and they cried. And three, it was in order for Yaakov to take the blessing that he was blinded by, by providence. So the Rebbe asked a couple of questions. The first question, most fundamental, why is there need for any Rashi at all? What's Rashi trying to explain? We're trying to figure out what blinded Isaac? And we have to start looking and give three different answers. The text says it very plainly, because he was old. It's right there in the text. The Rebbe will then ask two other important questions, but let's first deal with this one. It says in the text that Yitzchak became old and he was blinded. That's the reason for blindness. Rashi has to give any comment, let alone three different explanations. The fact that old age brings blindness is not uh, such a difficult phenomenon to understand. It happens. It's a reality. And in fact, in the Torah itself, we have later in the last parasha of the Book of Beretius, the parasha of Vayichi, it says, clearly, when, when Yaakov became old, it says that his eyes became heavy from old age, and he had a hard time seeing. And that's why you're uh, his son Yosef had to bring the two sons, the Menashe and Ephraim, and situate them because he became blinded. So the concept that old age comes along with uh, issues of vision, is not unusual, and it's even a Torah. So it's very straightforward in our text. Isaac became old, he became blind. We need no Rashi at all. That's the fundamental question of the Sikh. So I want to address that before I go to the other answers in my style, just to keep things as clear as possible. The Rebbe gives a very simple and usually profound answer. To me, this is quintessential Rebbe. And the Rebbe says that when a person studying the Torah on the literal level, it just means he studies the text and the Rashi, and he understands it on a basic level clearly, and he reads all the text until this point, he can't accept this, this fact on face value that Isaac became blind because he was old. Why not? because in the end of chayisar the earlier parsha it says that hashem came and blessed isaac if hashem blesses you why would you suffer such consequences doesn't make any sense not only he was blessed by his father he was blessed by god himself There's a discussion there in rashi that normally the father would bless the child as isaac blessed jacob and jacob blessed his sons in this case god himself blessed yitzchak after the passing of avram rather than avram giving yitzchak the blessing and rashi said because avram hesitated to bless him because he saw that from him will come Esau, and Esau's big problems for all of history. And therefore Abram said, you know what, let the master of the blessings give the blessing himself, even though Hashem had given over the blessings to Avram. The statement is, you know, you're going to bless others, you will have the power of blessing. In this case, Abram said, let the owner of the blessings himself, namely Hashem, let him come and get the blessing. I don't want to get involved in this situation. So Hashem himself blessed Yitzchak. Hashem came and blessed him. Suddenly he's going blind. Why? He's not even that old, by the way. He's 123 years old at this point, which in those days is not that old, considering that he lived 180, which apparently was an average lifespan at that time. 123, he's in the middle of his midlife. Midlife. Why would he go blind? And he suffered from it. 57 years he was blind, and it says he was so blind he was considered like a dead man he couldn't leave the house. It's brought later in the Rashi. He suffered terribly from it. It makes no sense. That's how the Rebbe teaches us how to study Torah, even on a literal level. Hashem benches a yid. How can he be blind? (laughs) And therefore, no, it can't be taken in face value that because he was old, he was blinded. He shouldn't be blinded. He should be more like Moshe Rabbeinu, like Moses, where it says, as old as he was, his vision never dimmed. That's what he should be. That's the problem that's bothering Rashi. No. He wasn't blind because of old age. Not somebody blessed by Hashem directly. Plus, he's not that old. He should be exactly like Moshe Rabbeinu, like Moses. His vision should be clear to the end. In a footnote, the Rabbi addresses, what about Yaakov? Jacob? Why was he blinded, in fact, at old age? And the Rabbi says that, uh, first of all, the Torah itself says that he had major difficulties in his life. Plus, he was not totally blinded. The language there is his eyes became heavy, maybe he had a cataract, I don't know. It doesn't really refer to it as actual blindness. And he was much older. Seems there he was right at the end of his life. Here we're talking midlife-like. So it doesn't make sense to accept Isaac's blindness and blame it on old age. In spite of the fact that the Torah says that he became old. And therefore, Rashi has to find an explanation. And the explanation is that what caused it was some outside factor that kicked in in spite of the fact that he was so blessed. So that's that fundamental question and answer. And then the Rashi gives three interpretations of what that outside factor is. And here the Rebbe asks, the Rebbe says we have to explore this on two levels. First of all, whenever Rashi gives more than one interpretation, why would Rashi give more than one interpretation? Which is the literal interpretation? Every verse in Torah has many, many commentaries. Rashi doesn't bring them all down. Rashi only brings down that which is needed to understand the literal meaning of the text. So why would he bring more than one? Bring the one that's most literal. And the answer is, Rashi brings more than one when neither one is satisfactory completely. On the literal level, he brings another one to complement it. And when, and not only that, but the order of the way he brings them is also precise. the one that's brought first. Is closer to the literal level of interpretation. However, it's not completely satisfactory. So he brings a second, but he brings it as a second because it's a little further away. And the same thing with this three, it's yet further away from the shot from the literal level of interpretation. Parenthetically, you might remember there was a Sikha in the project of Kotasikhas of last year. I remember when I remember exactly when it was, that there were two interpretations of Rashi, but over there, Rashi doesn't list them one, two, and three, like Dovarachir, you know, second interpretation. Rashi there. Makes it clear that they're both on equal footing. Because in that occasion, one is not closer to the literal interpretation than the other. However, normally, like in this case, Rasha gives interpretation and he says, I'm going to give you another interpretation. And then the third, it's because each subsequent one is a little further away from the literal meaning. However, it's needed to complement the first. How are we understanding in this place? What's wrong with answer one that requires two, answer two that requires three? And why are they in that order? And then the Rebbe asks another question and makes another interesting point, which to me was unique. I haven't yet studied it in other sikhs. And that is, says the Rebbe, when there are three answers in a Rashi, not just two, not only does each one have to have some kind of weakness, necessitating another, but each set of two has to have a common weakness. Because otherwise, why would you need a third? This is beautiful. This is special. Should I follow? If there's only two answers, so that each one has a weakness, so you give another one. So that the student is satisfied and they can go to sleep that night. But if there's three answers, it's only needed because each set of two have a common problem, which the third one will resolve. And that means... One and two have to have a common problem, which three resolves. Two and three have to have a common problem, which one resolves. And one and three have to have a common problem, which two resolves. Because if there's any set of the two, of the three, any two out of the three that don't have a common problem, so you don't need the third one. This one has one problem. This one has another problem. So they complement each other. And obviously together, there's some level of satisfaction. Why do you need a third answer? How is it going to help you? It's got its own weakness. Aha! It's only that the third complements the other two, and that happens in every set of two. So the Rebbe says, let's tackle that. This is a fascinating thing. Let's take a look. So I put them up onto a spreadsheet just for clarity. And we have the three answers, one, two, and three. Number one, the idolatrous smoke of Esau's wife. Number two, the tears of the angels seeing Yitzchak on the altar. And number three, in order for Yaakov to take the blessing. So, jumping right into it, the advantage of answer number one is that it flows with the text. Because why? Because the prior verse, before this one, tells us that Esau married these women, these Khiti women, and the text says they were rebellious, spiritually rebellious in the eyes of Isaac and Rivka. They didn't like them, they weren't good people. And um, so the next verse, stating that Yitzchak is blind, it makes sense that it's blinded from the prior discussion. And that's why this answer is answer number one, because it's very close to text. It flows in the text. The Rebbe further says in a footnote that this bears itself out in the language of the Rashi. The language of the Rashi is, "May Ashnon from the idolatrous smoke of these. It doesn't say from the wives of Esau of these, clearly a reference to that which was just mentioned in the prior verse, indicating perhaps a connection between the two verses. So that's answer number one. Seems very good. We just talked about Esau's wives and how they were rebellious spiritually in the eyes of Isaac and Rebekah. And we talk about his blindness. The two are linked. Remember, we're learning Rashi. We're trying to make things work on the level of text, on the literal level. On a text level, it makes sense. What's the problem with that answer? Why do we need any other answers? So the Rebbe says, if you want, you can follow it on my screen. There are a couple of problems. First of all, normally, Esau and his wives did not live in the same house as Yitzchak and Rivka. It seems that every wife had their own house, but they didn't live in the same house. People had their own houses. Homes were probably just a one-room home. But nevertheless, and therefore, why should Yitzchak be blinded by their idolatrous smoke? So stick a practical problem. The other thing is, why is only Yitzchak blinded? What about Rivka? In the footnote, the rabbi deals with the fact that, what about Esau? Why wasn't he blinded? So the rabbi says, well, Esau was a man of the field. He was never home. He wouldn't be blinded. What about they themselves? Why weren't they blinded? First of all, maybe they were blinded. We don't know. Secondly, maybe they're the ones that are offering up this incense. So maybe uh, they know how to avoid it. You know, When they put up the incense, they walk out of the room. I don't know. But But Rivka, why is she not blinded? Why is only Yitzchak blinded? So these two problems are serious problems that make this first explanation not totally satisfactory. And therefore Rashi gives a second answer. What's the second answer? The tears of the angels. They saw Yitzchak on the altar. They cried, they blinded him. So here, what's the advantage of it? It doesn't have the problem of number one. There isn't an issue. Are they living in the same house? And why isn't Rebecca blinded? This is the tears of the angels that go into Yitzchak's eyes. Whatever it means, tears of angels, but obviously Rashi is taking that interpretation. So if the angels are crying for Yitzchak, it only affects Yitzchak. And therefore there's no question of why Rivka is not affected, and there's no question of why, what about their proximity to Yitzchak? It has nothing to do with them. However, the problem with this interpretation is obvious. It's very Midrashic. Rashi avoids going Midrashic allegorical when he can be literal. When Rashi needs to go allegorical because he has no choice, he does it, but it's not his first option. To be sure, the Medrash is true and it's Torah and everything else, but it's it, it, it's a stretch from the literal interpretation when we try to explain things on a practical level because that's also a part of, of Torah study. That's also a bona fide and true and the most basic truth of Torah. So Rashi avoids running there. So you're telling me that he was blinded by tears of angels. It's a metaphor, it's it's Madrash. It's not his first choice, and therefore it has a weakness. And then Rashi brings a third interpretation. That he was blinded because of Yaakov to be able to get the blessings. The advantage of it, it doesn't have the problem of answer number two, it's not Midrashic. It's practical. In fact, it does flow fairly well with the text that follows that through his blindness of Yitzchak, Yaakov was able to come and take the blessings underhandedly, backhandedly, which was obviously the point. However, what's the problem with this answer? Think about it. What's the problem with this answer? This answer seems the most straightforward. Yitzchak became blind. Yaakov came and stole the blessings. If you ask me, it even fits on a text level. It seems to have even the advantage of answer number one. Not the text that precedes it, but the text that follows it. The whole narrative. Is about Yitzchak being blinded and Yaakov stealing, so to speak, the blessings. So why isn't that the explanation? Why can't that be the only answer? So the Rebbe says there's a major problem with that answer. Yitzchak now is blind for 53 years, for 57 years. He was 123 by the time when he gave the blessings, according to Rashi's calculation. He passed away at 180. That's 57 years. A man is blind 57 years and he's described in Torah and in Rashi, that he was like dead, couldn't leave the house. It's torture. Hashem has no other way to make this happen. The language is Hashem has a harbid la and God has many ways and manners of doing things. He has no other way to torture Yitzhak for 57 years. In order to get in the blessings, it's a major problem on the Pshat level. So this is how the Rebbe explains the three answers and the advantage and problem of each one, and the order of priority. So my understanding is this. The most important, most basic part of learning pshat, of learning Torah on a literal level of text, is that things make sense on a text level. The first answer makes the most sense on a text level, as mentioned earlier. The second answer doesn't make sense on a text level. Nowhere in the text is it in. However, um, however, it makes sense. The first answer has some problems in logic, so the first answer has an advantage in terms of text, but not an advantage logically. There's real problems with it. They, they, why would it be affected? He's not living in the same house. I mean, the second answer doesn't have that problem. It makes more sense. The second answer, like, like, it's okay. It makes sense. There isn't really a big problem to it, except that it's midrashic. The third answer. The third answer. Uh, is, is, is is close to pshat but it has an issue it has an, a major issue of the fact that it's torturing uh, Yitzchak so while the second answer sort of makes sense it's, albeit a little bit of a stretch away from pshat the third answer has a rational problem in and of itself however it does fit into the context My understanding would be that answer one, in other words, the most important rule in pshat is text. The second is, it's got to make sense. And the third is, it's got to flow in context of the narrative. These are all important things. They're all part of a literal presentation, of a pshat presentation of a chapter in the Torah. If you say something that, if you're telling over a story or a narrative in Torah, it has text, it has logic, and it has context. Hopefully any time a person speaks, it has those three elements. However, of those three, the most in the order of priority in terms of Rashi, in terms of explaining what is closest to pshat, it would be text, logic, and context. And that's why it gives the answer in these three orders. I'm going on a limb a little bit here, but I think that's pretty obvious from the Sikha. So the first one is closest to text, but it has a major problem, know, this is illogical. Second one is logical, but it has no connection to text or context. And the third one works well on context. Okay, what are we left with now? We're left with uh, the right side of the screen to discuss the common problem of each set of two of these answers. It's a Rebbe, explain beautifully, think about it until it, 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 it clicks in your head that if, if any two don't have a common problem, you wouldn't bring a third. So that ever goes through them. Problem, answer two and three have a common problem. They're not hinted in text. And principle one, imp shot, is it should be hinted in text. They're not hinted in text. Common problem for one and three Is that in both cases, Yaakov's blessings, which at the end of the day were resulted by this blindness, were a result of this blindness. Yaakov's blessing came out of a negative. Answer one, Yaakov's blessings come because of the wives of Esau's idolatry. That's a dampering, that's a hampering, that's the the negativity. The negative shadow on the blessings of Yaakov, you know what they came from? Idolatry. Eh, not so nice. Or you know what they came from? They came from the fact, according to answer three, that what that Yitzchak to, wanted to give the blessing to someone else. Yitzchak had a misunderstanding of his own children. That's not a positive thing. It's a negative. And therefore, that's not so sweet. Neither one of those answers is totally satisfactory. They have a common problem. That the blessing is a result of negativity. Whereas the answer that, why is he blind? Which brought about the blessing? He's blind because of tears of the angels. Because of the binding of Isaac, it's all positive. Lofty. It's wonderful. And finally, the common problems of one and two. Very, very practical. Why now? Why is he being blinded now? According to answer number three, that he's being blinded in order for Yaakov to take the brachos. It makes sense. He's blinded now because now Yitzhak is giving the brachos. It's time to dish out blessings. He needs to be blinded in order to dish it out to the right son. But answers 1 and 2, these both things happened years earlier. The, turns it, the tears that the angels, happened when Yitzchak was on the altar when the age of 37, he's now 123. Do the math, it's close to 90 years later. So why now? If he should have been blinded, he should have been blinded then, when he was 37. Again, it's not a question on the midrash, but on a shop level, it's a problem. And even answer number one, that he was blinded by the smoke of the idolatrous ways of Esau's wives. Esau married them when he was 40, as the text says. Which would make Yitzchak 100. At the time of him marrying these not-good women. Because if Esau was 40, Yitzchak is 100. Yitzchak was 60 years old when, when the twins were born. 60 plus 40 is 100. And now... Yitzchak is 123. So why was he blinded now? He should have been blinded 23 years ago, and therefore these two have the same common problem. The is teaching us how to study a Komash and how to study a Rashi. It's got to be thorough, it's not just a list of answers. If Rashi wanted to collect answers from every Medrash and every Gemara, he could have had another 10 answers, probably. He's showing us that it's needed on the literal level because these two have the same common problem and those two have the same common problem and therefore absolutely the only way to understand this pasik is to have all three and to have them in this Rebbe takes a lesson at the end of the Sicha when the Rebbe says we see the importance of not speaking Lashon Hara gossip to an extreme because here Hashem could have simply gone to to Yitzchak instead of having him become blind And he was suffering for for 57 years in order for the blessing to go to the right child, which is obviously very important. It's all about the future of the Jewish people. He should have simply gone to Yitzchak and tipped him off. I know you like this Aesop guy. You should know he's not what he looks like. Tell him the truth. Open up his eyes. And he wouldn't have to go through this whole backhanded thing of getting him the blessings and causing him blindness and suffering. Tell him the truth showing us how important it is to stay away from Lashon Hara, speaking bad about people, that Hashem stays away from it. No, I'm not going to say anything bad about Esau. Esau! And it wouldn't be such a big revelation that Ebbis says to tell Yitzchak that Esau is not what he thinks, what he presents himself to be. Because first of all, Yitzchak already knew that he definitely had a bad choice in women. That's number one. Plus, he knew that Yitzhak, that Esau didn't really frequently use the name of Hashem and say Baruch Hashem as I pointed out later in the Torah and Rashi he knew that Esau wasn't Mr. Perfect so Hashem would just come and complete the picture and still Hashem didn't do it and instead he had to go endure suffering 57 years of blindness but I'm not going to go talk Lashon Haram. it's a fascinating lesson which by the way expand on that idea that in Torah in general it doesn't say bad about people I often hear from uh, from students in the Chamanos, and they wonder, how do you decide that Aesop is bad? It doesn't say in the Torah that he was evil or a sinner. You have to extrapolate it. What hints? He's a man of the field. He married at 40 to emulate his father, like the pig who, who acts like he's so holy and he really isn't, etc., etc. Nothing is in the text. Not just Aesop many people. Look at Nimrod. People say Nimrod is so evil. He's described as a strong man. Maybe he was a nice strong man. And we know this details from the oral Torah. How come it doesn't say it? And I often get these complaints from people when the, you know, when we give classes here in the Hamad Why did we decide that so-and-so is bad? Maybe he's good. And I think this answer is in this Sikha. Hashem doesn't just say bad things about people. It's not what he does. In the Tanakh, you find it more. You know, we read in the Megillah, Haman is called Haman, Russia, etc. Straight out. But in the Chumash, when it speaks about good people, it says straight out, Do'yach ish tzadik. Righteous. You're not going to find the Torah say so and so is a Russia. I don't know if it's anywhere in the Chorosh. What you need to know, you'll find out on a need to know basis. But you're going to have to extrapolate it. More the Torah is telling us that Yaakov was good. He was a man of the tent and Torah study. And we start to recognize that maybe there's a difference and he sells his firstborn rights. So we start to get a picture of, of the man. But the Torah avoids express um, expressing it. Clearly, straight out. But certainly in communicating it with, with Yitzchak, Hashem said, no, I'm not going to do it. Heart. I want to conclude this with an interesting commentary that I heard. I don't know the source of it. Just on an aside. That uh, Rashi brings down that what? That the angel's tears blinded Yitzchak in the language of the Rashi is from the Medrash That when Isaac is lying on the altar to be slaughtered, the heavens opened up. Well, the angels opened up a window and they saw what's going on and they cried. So the question is asked. Angels have to open up a window in order to see what's happening on earth. They know what's happening. They're angels. They know, they know what's happening. Open a window. Like, why not to open a window? So there's a fantastic interpretation. I heard this in the name of Rabbi, uh, I heard it from Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Wahlberg. And he said it in the name of Rabbi Y.Y. Y. Jacobson. I don't know the original source. I believe it comes from... A, but one of the said all, but I'm not sure. He says this. He says, when Isaac is lying on the altar, in heaven, of course, they know about it. But in heaven, it's not a bad thing. Bad thing? It's an amazing thing. The greatest moment of the Jewish people for all of history will survive in the merit of that moment. Think about all human suffering. In heaven, they know about it. But they see it from a heavenly perspective. From a heavenly perspective, it's bad. They see the purpose. They know why it's happening. They understand what it's going to bring to. They understand Hashem's mystical purposes in heaven. Human suffering, Jewish suffering, not bad. Maybe it's wonderful. However, open the window and they see how it's viewed from the perspective of humanity, the way that you didn't feel it down here, they start to cry, which is itself a beautiful lesson in and of itself. On the one hand, we have total amunah, We understand that there's the heavenly perspective, there's the real ultimate truth that everything is good. At the same time, a yid is told, but when you see somebody suffering, when you see another yid suffering, don't look at it only from a heavenly perspective and say it's good. Cry! Feel the pain! Cry for Mashiach. Try to alleviate that pain. Because in the here and now, it hurts and it's not good, and it shouldn't be that way. It needs to be alleviated.